3: What, what are you worried? What what else do
4: you need to have done? Well, I want to sort my hair out because I don't really like these streaks that I've
3: done myself. And I'm not well, keen on I think they kind what... of look alright. They've definitely calmed down. <laughs> well, you, do you remember the night that I first had
4: them done? Yeah. But I didn't do anything else to them. No. and I just let it settle. Yeah. <laughs> Is it? Are we being broadcast now? We're...
3: we're... <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're broadcasting live to the nation. <laughs> I've actually hacked into number 10. <laughs> Instead of the COVID report, it's us. <laughs> it's hmm. hands, knees, and bumpsy daisy. <laughs> what? I don't get your <laughs> is reference. Is that the new one? Hands, face, space. Oh, is that the new catchphrase? Yeah, that's the new catchphrase. I'm not quite sure what outer space has to do with everything. Is that where we're going (laughs) to get rid of the virus? Is
4: that why you've got six towels in your bathroom? Mm. One for your two hands, one for your two faces. Yeah.
3: And (laughs) one for your thigh. One for the space. (laughs) Why have you got so many towels in your bathroom? Um, Because I don't have anywhere else to put them. good answer <laughs> <laughs> it's like there is no storage so all right shall we start the show yeah welcome to what that old queen a candid and adult take on queer life quandaries at a certain age so please listen at your own discretion presented by bernie and tommy their views are their own and in no way reflect those of any service you may hear this program on. Now, let your ears be upstanding for the (coughs) old queen. dance to the theme music, aren't you? I did sort of (laughs) shrug my shoulders in a adaptive manner. That's why we chose it. (laughs) It's the first time I've heard that music. (laughs) (laughs) Well, welcome to Shea Bernie. We're recording in my flat instead of yours for a change. I know. Bernie's
4: man cave. Yeah. If you go into the bathroom, listeners... There's a lot of products <laughs> and they've all got man cave written on them. <laughs> Not all of them, just a few. Them, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's very, very interesting. Yeah. In your man cave.
3: Well, they're, they're all natural. And what makes them man ish? I don't know. I think it's just because they're, ma- I mean, man cave is an awful name for male cosmetics, isn't it?
4: I think it's just an awful name for stop the yeah. shed. Is often referred to as a man cave.
3: Yeah, but anyway, yeah. There's there is some man cave stuff in my in my bathroom, but it's it, it's quite good because it's a completely natural ingredients. So it's a except bit for like for the plastic. That except for present. the plastic, yeah. yeah I'm, I'm trying to go plastic free, so I've got loads of soap now as well instead of shower gel. So yes, I'm going like to use bars of that soap. Here, yeah. Yeah.
4: When you said let's go live, I forgot to. Um top up my glass, so I hope that there will be a little pause at some point.
3: A little pause? Well, I mean, the bottle's just there. I know, but I'm connected to this whole system
4: <laughs> do you want with me the to? headphones. Um, no, we can I'm do go- it. No, I'm going to do it. I'm oh. going to go. Okay. <laughs> um, so, uh, no, it's all over to me now. Yeah, just <laughs> um I actually loved listening to a woman's hour this morning because um zoom crashed and they were listening to someone that was talking about being alone um (laughs) during the pandemic and the zoom (laughs) crashed (laughs) and uh, jane garvey had to do like this massive filler which she did very professionally because she's got professional training unlike me right um and what did she fill it with sort of saying the same thing but in different ways in an in
3: more interesting ways right yeah yeah Uh, that's that's a real shame do you think that's happened to that person who's dealing with loneliness during lockdown well they got her back oh they did but you imagine her zoom has crashed loads (laughs) so she couldn't even talk to people on zoom it's a predicament i know right um well uh, first of all congratulations oh yes because you've made it to the, was it top 35 yeah, LGBTQ plus influen- influencers in Bristol? Thank you, yes.
4: They didn't specify the order of what we were placed in. No. But I was quite near the bottom. That's fine. Um, it was very nice to be acknowledged in that way.
3: Yeah, totally. And they gave a plug to the podcast. Yes. They did say it was your podcast. <laughs> And I just want to reiterate that, that this baby has two parents. <laughs> <laughs>
4: well, the actual, yeah, the communication was, they asked me the questions and then I quickly jotted down a few answers. And then I said, actually, can you use this photo instead? And then on another email, I said, Owen, oh, can you mention the podcast?
3: Great. <laughs> well, at least we've got a plug. Yeah. You know,
4: I'll forgive them for the plug. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you've happened to glance over the comments. Um, no, tell
3: me about well, the. The comments. Evening
4: Post is in Bristol. I think it's run by the Daily Mail. It's not the exactly. most. It's not the most um, liberal of uh, publications.
3: No, and that's why it's so surprising that they're doing the top LGBTQ plus quite, influences in Bristol, isn't it?
4: it? It was quite surprised when they sent me that email. Yeah, but my whole street is run. Not run is owned by the Daily Mail. Oh wow! Yeah, because it's so that's why they're doing all the building work because they just can,
3: right? Um, is your house owned by the Daily Mail?
4: No, but they do force it th- me to read it.
3: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> along with loose, watching loose women, right? Okay, because that's also owned by the Daily Mail. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what are the comments?
4: Well just seems like a gobby load of (laughs) show-offs which i really like i mean that's just what i aspire to a show-off our mutual friend Vaughn always says like her earliest childhood memories are um of of someone's you know like the adult in the room saying well nobody likes a show-off and her going (laughs) what
3: I mean, I think we all like a show-off, don't we? I I prefer the term shameless self-promoter.
4: Oh, do you? I just like show-off.
3: I just think it does what it says on the tin. But that uh, list was really good because it had some friends of the podcast in. Dame Anna Rutherford, obviously, was Mm. there. Um, Is she going to come on and be our guest? I, I hope so. This is a formal invitation on air to dame anna rutherford to come on our podcast come on yeah Yeah. but matthew austin who's obviously been in our Mm. quandary episodes chris from dtym yes and a bunch of other people who i didn't really know
4: well it was funny because i thought uh, uh, cynically i wondered whether it hadn't been that extensively researched because i didn't know every single person in that I was going to say in that room, in on that list, but mm. then maybe I just
3: know quite a lot of people. Yeah. Well, I think you know everyone. Why well, I like uh, people say that I know everyone, but I don't. Everyone knows me. <laughs> That's the best uh, way to be. I, I I wasn't on the list, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> There's always next year. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm building my way up to it. Yeah, you know. So this is the beginning of our third season, Tommy. I know I'm excited, um can you tell? yeah, and uh, rather than having some of the separate features that we have, we've got a new feature which is called the Cabinet of Curiosities.
4: I was going to say has it got a title? Yeah, mm. well, you named it. Has it got a theme tune?
3: Yes, has it yes. <laughs> Shall we go in, Shall we open the door to our cabinet of curiosities? Oh my god, it has got one! Yeah, of course it has. Well, open the door then. Ooh. Can you see what's in the cabinet of curiosities? I'm tempted by that shelf over there. Hmm. There's lots of little trinkets. Are you like a magpie when you go into these spaces? Well, I only go for the shiny things. <laughs> I only go for the gay things. <laughs> so, from the cabinet of curiosities, each of us have got five little trinkets of knowledge. Yes. From queer history. Yeah. Would you like to go first with I'd your love little to trinket? Start, yeah, so
4: what I thought I'd do is just read out... Maybe the label on the jar. Yeah, okay. Um, just read out what it says yeah. and then sort of dissect it afterwards. Totally. Yeah, pull it apart. Um, so the ancient Greeks didn't believe in heterosexual or homosexual. However, they did believe in passive and active. The most common form of same-sex relationships were with the older man called the... And I struggle with this word. What does that say on that jar, Bernie? Erastes. 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 I think. Um, act, and they acted as a mentor and the lover to a young boy, the Aromatus. Arominos. I Arominos. Think. It sounds a bit like a polo mint. It sounds a bit erroneous. <laughs> um, and um, they believed that sperm was the source of knowledge. And, and it was able to be passed on. Wow! It doesn't say whether they mean the sperm was be able to passed on or the knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think both. Yeah, don't you? When I when I first read this label mm. on that jar, yeah, I just had a flashback to sort of the mid nineties, walking into the Queen Shilling with a sort of mentor and the young boy. Did you get that? but you the young boy? Well, I was then. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> yeah. but I haven't. My question with this one is: How do you know when you transition? Yeah. At what point are you no longer? Do you wake up one day and you go, "Actually, I'm the older one now"? Or does it? Or do you slowly evolve?
3: <laughs> I don't know. I think I've always been the older one.
4: Yes. And you see, I think like an old soul, and I think I've always been the younger one, mm. and that's why I struggle with where I fit in now. Yeah. Because it's still in my head, I think I'm a 17-year-old.
3: Do you feel like knowledge has been passed on to you? (laughs) (laughs) No, but some sperm has. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's move on. I think that... uh, (laughs) So, um, on the label of my little trinket, it says, in Egypt, two male royal... Manicurists, named Nyanakonum, there's some curious names here, right? Mm. (laughs) And Konomotep, were found buried together in a shared tomb, similar to the way married couples were often buried. Their epigraph reads, joined in life and joined in death. Having lived in 2400 BC... They are believed to be history's oldest recorded gay couple. We've actually found a couple of queens older than us. <laughs> Only by a few years, obviously, but. <laughs> are they holding hands? Um, I, it doesn't say. It doesn't say. <laughs> but I don't know. It depends if they've got separate, you know, sarcophagi. Oh, okay. But maybe they could be holding hands in the sarcophagi kind of. How would you like to be buried, Bernie? Well, I'm not just asking for later. I'm not a big fan of being buried. I think I might want to be burnt, make sure I'm dead, <laughs> <laughs> and you can just scatter me on a beach somewhere. Okay. Unless, unless there's going to be a what that old queen tomb and we're buried together. I think I'll just, I'll just find another
4: partner. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Okay, <laughs> right, you're just going to live forever. <laughs> yeah, did you not know? Oh, okay, great. Well, I, I was I was planning on the same, but you know, do you have another trinket for us? Um,
4: yes, there is a band of 150 couples from Thebes who defeated uh, a Spartan army and went undefeated for 30 years. Wow. So, are these the are the 150 gay couples so we're we talking about 300? Yeah. It's the 300. Isn't there a film about it? I mean, I can't work that whether that could actually be true.
3: I I think it might be true. Look, the thing is you don't want to mess with us, right? But did they not want us just um, taking the wine away from them? <laughs> <laughs> did
4: you? Did they not want to swap about a bit?
3: Well, you know what the In ancient Thebes, they were probably swapping left, right and centre, right? So when they say couples, they were meaning just 300 people, really. 300 swingers.
4: I like to picture them in little sort of tents with campfires. Yeah. And I
3: think they would be very stylish tents. Yes, I don't mean like
4: small ones. I mean like with lots of sort of swoons of fabric and... Yeah.
3: Yeah. Okay. Well, I think that's impressive. Good. Like they're kind of warriors, and they went undefeated for 30 years. Right, so some historical gay and bi figures have turned their lovers into gods. You ever done that? Not knowing. (laughs) (laughs) So, Alexander the Great wanted to make his boyhood lover Hephaestion, a god, when he died, but was only allowed to declare him a divine hero. The Roman Emperor Hadrian of wall-building fame, was successful in making his lover Antonius, which I th- I think we've talked about before, a god after he drowned in the Nile. Yeah, antonus there's a statue of Antonus in, um, who's the judge from Britain's Got Talent? Simon Cowell. Simon Cowell's house, yeah. And they reckon that Antonus is haunting his house. Oh, yes, I've heard that. Yeah, we did, well, we we did, did a that. feature on it, yeah. yeah. I've heard that. <laughs> you told me that. I did oh, tell you that, yeah. yeah. What you I feel that you can put partners on a pedestal too much and making them a god is probably a little bit excessive, don't you?
4: Oh, totally, yeah. I mean, a, a lot of mine have just been a waste of time, really. Um, but I have had to sort of, you know, in order to get them into a venue that I'm performing in or something, Yeah. I have pretended that they're someone else, they're um, part of the creative
3: team. Okay, yeah. I mean, I don't mind being the god, but I don't necessarily want to make somebody else the god. No, I don't think you should. No, I won't. <laughs> <laughs> what, what other little trinkets have well, you got? Well, in
4: ancient history, sorry, in ancient China, mm. homosexuality was referred to as the cut sleeve or the pleasures of the bitten peach. Yeah. Now, I am a bit confused about what the cut sleeve is. I believe you've got a story about that. Yeah,
3: so one of the emperors in China um, had a male lover who he slept with obviously not naked but because his lover was asleep under his arm um have you got ghosts in your i flat? think i have got ghosts in my flat maybe it's the ghost of the emperor of china he instead of waking him up he cut his sleeve off and then removed it and then turned up at his meeting i don't know maybe he was doing like some speech announcement time or something. With only one sleeve and then it became fashion but then it was it was called the order of the cut sleeve or something
4: i sort of thought it might be something to do with just you know like a pajama usually has a cut Hmm. area where you can put your you can go to the toilet (laughs) nothing
3: to do with that not as far as i know no No, not not in the legends that i read anyway and the, the what was the other one the peach Yes, I can get that. The pleasures
4: of the bitten peach. I have um, a lover, I think I've mentioned him before, Sexy Jeff. Sexy Jeff, yeah. Likes to bite my peach. Right. And I had to tell him he was biting it too much.
3: (laughs) It's never too much, Tommy. Well, it was. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, did you know, this other trinket, it looks quite evangelical to me, this one. And on it, it says, the church sanctified gay marriages in the so-called Dark Ages, with one being the Byzantine emperor Basil I, Mm. 867 to 886, and his partner John. I didn't catch the first bit. What was it? I don't understand. So the church sanctified the mar- their marriage. Oh, okay. So I think they need to catch up with themselves, don't they?
4: Yes, because isn't that what we had to fight for?
3: Yeah, totally. Well, I mean, I wasn't doing the fight. <laughs> no, I mean, but it was happening. It was, yeah, and still churches don't particularly want to marry. Like, it's not a religious marriage, is it? It's more of a registry office marriage. I was... Invited
4: to a wedding, got postponed, and then postponed again. And mm. now they've sent another invitation Arrived today. It's been rescheduled for July 2021.
3: That's, that's good. Did it, they do anything else on well, the other two it days? Said your,
4: it said something like, your dietary, cha- you, your dietary needs might have changed, <laughs> or your plus ones might have changed. And I thought, that's quite nice, isn't it? Yeah. My dietary changed. Needs haven't changed, and my plus ones haven't changed. Okay.
3: Anyway, what, what do you have another trinket for us?
4: Until the 1400s, the word girl just meant a child of either sex. If you had a, to differentiate between the genders, mm. then the male child would be referred to as knave girls, and the females were called gay girls. I've heard this before, actually.
3: I quite like that. That's very gender neutral, non-binary.
4: Well, I guess you could view it like that. I, yeah, I just think um, it sort of feels like just a child is a child, isn't it really? Yeah, we sort of put these things on children. And actually, this morning, we always do these little very early morning presentations and uh, the woman that did these pre- this pre- online presentation this morning, so it all happens at nine o'clock, mm. and she presented images from her research that she'd done from um, the K's catalogue. Right. And it was all, like, there was a lot of images of, like, boys playing with guns and girls playing with kitchens and stuff. Right. But actually there was other images that go back to sort of 1960s, and uh, the girl was in a car. Great. So it's sort of, well, I was going to say it's a recent phenomenon, but it's not really. But, no, I
3: don't think it is. Yeah. But I think uh, I think kids should be allowed to play with whatever they want. I'm, I remember when I was a kid, I always wanted a girl's world and I was never allowed it. I've become my own girl's world. <laughs> I wish I had the guts to do that. <laughs> well, if you want to just mess around with my hair tonight. <laughs> okay. Um, can I cut it? Well, everyone else has been locked <laughs> so I don't see why you shouldn't have a go. <laughs> I think I want another
4: trinket from you. Okay. What about this one? Yeah. The Virginia court in 1629 recorded the first gender ambiguity among the American um, colonialists as a servant called Thomasina Hall or Thomas Hall. Mm who was officially declared by the governor to be both male and woman, or man and woman. Right. Um, to stop everyone from being confused, Hall was ordered to wear articles of each sex clothing every day. So this is, you know, text that has been written on the jar. Yeah. I would say there is a difference between sex and gender with this statement. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm slightly confused about what it means. I don't know if it means, like, for anyone to be forced to wear any kind of clothing, I think is abhorrent. But yeah. were they forced to wear h- half of the day male presenting clothes and half of the day female presenting clothes? Or or half and half? I mean, actually, I really like that look. <laughs> I really would love to wear, like, a ball gown on one side yeah. and a dinner suit on the other. Yeah, it hasn't we need we need a longer letter don't we <laughs> we need a
3: longer letter <laughs> on this one definitely yeah i want to know whether did it, they want this or not yeah it's, it's like they're obviously identifying as gender neutral but it feels like with the wording they're forcing this well i don't think that is the case because
4: i think they're they're saying that, that they're not even saying that how this person identifies right. they're just saying they were identified as both man and female.
3: Right. Okay. Well, I, I've, I think we've got, we've got the kind of gender-neutral trinkets out, both me and you. We've, we've, we've gravitated to both of them because I've got one. Mercury represents male and female principles in harmony. And in mythology, Mercury fathered hermaphroditus, who had both male and female sex organs.
4: I recently last year i'm calling that recently now because yeah. this year has just flown by nothing happened yeah did a uh, it was called tom's tiny tour mm. of um, the wallace collection in london yeah and there's a lot of images of hermaphrodite yeah in uh, in that and i and i placed it within a context of talking about like um i'm using the words that you would they, they would have used. So you wouldn't natural, naturally use the word hermaphrodite these days. You no. might use like, you would use um, intersex. Yeah. yeah. But I managed to align Miss Dynamite <laughs> to the tune of
3: hermaphrodite. Amazing. <laughs> well, that brings me on to my other second trinket, which because Aristophanes, the creation myth by him, There were three sexes, those with two male heads who were descended from the sun, those with two female heads who were descended from the earth, and those with a male and female head who were descended from the moon. Displeased with them, Zeus crippled them by chopping them all in half. And since that day, according to the story, we're all looking for the other half to create our whole. This is known as the origin of love. I fucking hate Zeus. <laughs> I do. He's such a wanker. Well, I kind of fancy him a little bit. I do. But yeah, well. something about him that I fancy. But then I always go for like the wrong guy. Yeah, like, a bad boy, a rebel. Probably the wrong guy. Yeah. <laughs> have you have you got one last trinket? I have. Yeah.
4: Um, so in the early seventeenth century in London, there was a gay brothel.
3: Oh, yeah. I think I know it. Well, <laughs> do you
4: know where it was? It was just on the site of Buckingham Palace. <laughs> well,
3: some might say it's still a gay brothel. <laughs> I mean, it probably is. I mean, it's full of queens.
4: <laughs> Have I ever told you about my time with a, a Grenadier guard?
3: No, but please do.
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, this was... Many years ago yeah. in the time of that we used to use gaydar and I was communicating with this guy that was living in London and I ended up meeting him and he told me that he was a, a retired a Grenadier guard. Yeah. And he was sat outside the pat- not sat they don't sit, do they? They just have the to stand, stand up yeah. guard in the palace. And um it was a boiling hot day and he was wearing his furry hat. Yeah. And red costume costume uniform uh, <laughs> <Beautiful. laughs> fancy dress costume <laughs> yeah. and um and um apparently princess margaret looked out the window and said that man is very sweating very much why don't we get him to move into the shade and so there was a phone call apparently they got phones in their little sh- sheds yeah you know they have oh, those yeah. little tiny oh, little yeah. sheds yeah well they got some sort of cb or something and yeah. he was told that he was allowed to move
3: oh to the shade yeah,
4: into the shady area. Did he march? Probably.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did you like
4: his big furry muff? Um, well, he he's retired by that point, so he didn't get it. He didn't have it in his possession. Oh, uh, okay. But he did have a very nice time, yeah. a very nice flat in Kensington. And I had a very nice time there. <laughs> uh, I'm sure. <laughs> it's so weird doing this podcast because, A, I've never been to your flat before and I've known you for years. yeah. And this is the first time I can hear my own voice in my ears. And I just don't know if this, re- do I really
3: sound like this? Yeah, you do. <laughs> Get used to it, babes. <laughs> right, well, that's, the- I think we can close the cabinet of curiosity oh, yeah. there, can don't ca- you? Can we do this, the, the jingle? Uh, yeah, of I'm course. I'm calling it a Jingle. Very creaky, you need a bit of oil on that door, right? Yes, I've got some in my pocket. Have you? CBD oil? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everyone's talking about it.
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> wow, there you go. Our cabinet of curiosities is closed for another week. We've got a guest coming out. Who have we got coming to join us? We've got David Stewart. Of the Rhythmics fame. Exactly. Um, right. Well, well, we'll have a break now and uh, we'll wait for him to arrive in the room. Great. If you're enjoying What That Old Queen, please share our episodes on social media and subscribe on whatever podcast platform you listen on. If you can write a review, that would also help expand our audience too. We don't have any advertising or sponsorship. So if you can contribute to our Patreon account or help us by buying some merch, the links are in the episode description below or on our website, thatoldqueen.com. Thank you for your continued support.
0: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.
3: And we're back, and we've got a guest, don't we, uh, Tommy? We
4: have, yeah. You opened the wrong Zoom um, room for them, <laughs> <I> but, <did. laughs> but they found their way through, eventually. <laughs> um, so, we have uh, David Stewart. David, we've been playing your
0: music all night long. you know he lives on the corner of my street that well the the hospital club is his building the
3: other the other david stewart (laughs) Stewart. um uh, i bet you've had that a lot throughout your life right yeah okay
4: it didn't actually occur to me because we've met before and i've never met dave stewart from the rhythmics before um but yes you do have the same name but it's actually probably quite a common name in some respects it is a common name and yeah. i identify
0: with more, more with any lennox than with dave anyway so that the, the, well who doesn't yeah who i doesn't?
4: wish that people listening could see how splendid you look tonight
3: <laughs> you look amazing i love your glasses i'm a i mean i'm a big fan of an aviator as you can probably tell but yours are amazing
0: are all Glasses. we've
4: got all wearing aviator glasses yeah. but yours are, like yours are the king
3: yeah yours are um, like supremely disco oh the Versace <laughs> of course <laughs> and
4: what is that top you're wearing is that a Mondrian no no no
0: it's, it's high street okay well, it's, it's still very lovely so usually from the neck down I'm pretty shit but you know from the neck up I'm okay Great. Style, style-wise,
3: <laughs> I think we're all the same, aren't we? So, David, tell us what what you do. What you well, you're famous for um, inventing a word, right?
0: I don't think that's why I'm famous, but yes, I did invent a word. It was the uh, the word chemsex, which is a word which um, defines a different kind of drug use epidemic. There's been a whole bunch of drug use epidemics throughout history and throughout different parts of the world. There's one in particular that's uh, particularly impacting my community. A gay bi and buying queer men. It's, part, it's party and play culture, PNP, hook-up culture, um, and the drugs that sort of happened there. And it's um, – well, in London, it's killing two guys a month in London. Yeah. And um, it's uh, lots of fun for some, but it's really problematic for others, and it's a problem all around the world. So it's just – yeah, so I needed to find a word that identified it, that particular drug use epidemic because I didn't – I was being – when I needed help, I was being sent to heroin addiction services. But then nothing about – grinder, nothing about HIV and nothing about online hookup culture, and nothing about my gay sex experience, nothing about how gay sex is disgusting. And sometimes that's in my, my head, but disgusting to the wider world, to my uncle, to God. And that's sometimes in the bedroom with me. And sometimes so that might be why I might use drugs to mask those things. So I needed a name as I was moving forward as an activist, to name this particular drug use epidemic so we can get culturally competent support services around the world.
4: And that word, you know, or we put those words together and we all know kind of what that means now, really. And so uh, I think that's really, really useful. One question that I sort of had for you was I was just thinking about, like, how because we're called we, we we call ourselves what that really old queen um yeah. and i was just thinking about like how maybe older people have adapted to to being on their kind of apps and stuff and and how and how and how they work with that
0: well it was a whole new skill set that was needed i mean i'm i'm 50 53 i remember when i was um hooking up i guess i mean the My typical slutty me at age 19 would have a one night stand with somebody. That's, you know, I might date and I might sort of meet someone, but the sluttiest I could be would be a one night stand. So I might wake up in the morning and next to somebody and I might have a rotten hangover and I might not remember their name and I really don't want to be there. I want to get home and I want to have a fry up and an aspirin, but I've got a, I've got to be polite. I've got to somehow tell this person that I can't remember their name, but I'm not a rude person. I've got to navigate that. I've got to negotiate whether they think um I want to exchange phone numbers or whether I do or don't. And we might argue about Margaret Thatcher while we're uh, making coffee and might uh, might be discussion about who uses a shower first and stuff like this. These are communication skills and conflict resolution communication skills and just human interaction stuff, which we need and we learn – to incorporate into our our just our our lives, so when the apps came along, that was a big adjustment because first of all, there was a, there was a lot of it is faster than that. It's hook up and faster, faster, faster. So you can go have an orgasm and leave, and you only know the the grinder profile name. It can be like that. It can be more complex than that, but it just required a whole skill set. So essentially, you had to have an idea of what your sexual and emotional needs were, and having a good understanding of that in an AIDS epidemic and in a climate of societal disgust of gay sex it's kind of hard to have an understanding of your sexual and emotional needs but be able to communicate them on an app with 140 characters, a picture of your photoshopped abs and, <laughs> and icons and avatars. And I, they didn't come with any instruction book or any skill set. So I think people my age and older, um, some maybe adapted. I think what a lot of us did is we adapted. We learned how to play the game. But we might not have learned how to nurture our sexual and emotional needs, negotiate consent, negotiate um, rejections, and how to do rejections politely. We didn't learn how to. The, the, sort
4: reject- of the care around it, perhaps. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's, how did it- you. I mean, I don't know. I don't want to assume you're. But how did you guys do it?
3: <laughs> well, I, would say, I mean, Tom is the youngest here. I'm uh, 51 in a couple of weeks' time. I mean, yes. I'm not that far behind. Uh, um, I think. Uh, It's difficult, isn't it? Because there's something about the I mean, they, uh, the apps are the apps, they kind of are what they are. And I guess that being our age, there was a progression because there was a progression from like AOL chat, to gaydar, to fit lads to then grinder and scruff and growler and everything else. I do want to ask David if he was on gaydar.
0: Yes, I was, but I was also really uh, lost in um, a lot of drug use at the time. Right. So I, I didn't know how to use the computer, but other people that came around to my house would you know, use it for me, arrange my next shag after they got tired of me. And wow, God, I was lost in addiction at the time, just lost. But that that
3: happens to a lot of lot of people. I read Straightjacket Jacket during the lockdown and mm. cried for half of it, um, mm. and saw a lot of myself reflected. Uh, and a lot of the of my friends and people that I love uh in the lgbtq plus community reflected in that, I also saw a post today which was also highlighting that, and then I looked at the comments so the actual post was I think it actually mentioned you, but it was it was about us understanding each other and and we we have to deal with a lot of stuff in the queer community because it's not only gay shame from the outward society. But we're also quite good at shaming each other, aren't we? Because a lot of our community will look down upon people that do take drugs or perhaps drink too much. Uh, And there's a real lack of understanding or community there.
0: Yeah, um, well, a couple of things there. First, I mean, the nature of drug use is a contentious one anyway. It's when you've had a friend who keeps on um, cancelling the, your Sunday and or shows up trashed at your Sunday bar- barbecues routinely, or um, sort of is having the best time of their life with their drugs and they found a new sexual adventure playground. Um, and they might not be aware of how that's changing the friendship for you. And so, a lot of people can lose patience with someone if when the drug use is just fun and bounded and uh, it's not really impacting other things then it might be fine. So people might be a- approve of that kind of drug use. And there is a movement of people saying the right to have uh, we have a right to use drugs and we don't want to be criminalised for it, and um, they play an important role in our communities. Mm. And there's some really good arguments there uh, that we have used drugs through the AIDS epidemic to commune on dance floors. They've been a normal part of our kind of culture. We also, as a gay community, we the law has said in the past that gay sex was illegal. They've said that we don't exist. So we are outside the law anyway. So if suddenly where there are drugs available and there's, yes, but they're illegal. It's like, yeah, and so what? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so there's that. And then there's the fact that when drug use becomes problematic, then suddenly the people who are fighting for the drugs sort of or, or sort of saying we have the right to do them, they kind of want to turn a blind eye and say, well, that person's letting the side down. That person can't handle the drugs. So there's, uh, within my world where i'm dealing in the whole world of drug use and chemsex yeah there's lots of little culture wars going on um which are born in lack of understanding and empathy yeah. with what another person experiences and and the 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 apps have played a big part of that because it's what sometimes deserves a long conversation i mean if i'm Having coffee with my friend in the street, I want to know how his week was. I want to know if he went to a sauna. Was it a great experience? Was it also complicated? Did you get doors slammed in your face? Are you okay with that? Because that happens. As lots of rejections happen in a sauna. Did you have sex with someone who was really, really high? And for a moment, you wondered, are they fully consenting here? Is that something that you took home with you? Because I'm your friend, and you can talk to me about these things. I don't want to have meet meet with my friend for coffee in O'Compton Street on a week and. Not have conversations about the, some of the major things happening in our lives, which is hookup culture, chemsex, sexual well being, and, and all these kinds of things. I can't just talk about the weather, how great the club was last week, how awesome the sauna was because I had this great experience, when they are always imbued with more complex things than that, that we're not sharing. The trauma of some of these normalized experiences are building up and building up and building up until we're becoming very calloused, normalizing some very traumatic behavior. Uh, Another example, you might be walking through a a nightclub with your shirt off and someone tweaks your nipple because that's socially acceptable in that environment. Or is it? What kind of, do you have a consent for someone to touch your body in this sort of way? And do we know that you're allowed to have a conversation with that person that's doing that? Or does the person doing the tweaking uh, know that that might be unwelcome by the person and how to have that conversation too? But we're living in 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 a highly sexualized and party environment, which is fabulous. We built it. But there's sometimes a vacuum of these very complex discussions um about well being and self care and care for others. And that's these are all ingredients of chemsex and of course my work. I can't address the chemsex needs of the people I'm supporting um unless we're having those conversations too, because they are involved. They are part of the experience.
3: Yeah. because yeah, you um you've developed the world's first chemsex
0: support services, didn't you? I did. I did. In a sense, that there were drug and alcohol services. There were some for LGBTQ people. There were uh, in gay charities, for instance, and there was other drug support services, statutory ones uh, that were about heroin, street homelessness, crime, street alcoholism, that kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, I was I was arrested for dealing drugs at the kind of at the end of my drug career, and I needed help. And everywhere I went for help, I was being sent to uh, LGBT drug and alcohol services where their, their experience at the time was mostly ecstasy, like how, you know, the, the the typical gay person, LGBT person showing up in LGBT drug and alcohol services, really talking about um, ecstasy in nightclubs. There wasn't a lot of heroin use, there wasn't a lot of crystal meth or G, and that wasn't being talked about either. I just knew that you can therapy me all you like and give me some uh, some support in how to manage addiction and craving management. But there's something about hooking up online, dealing with the rejections that I need help with. There's something about the HIV i carried with me into the bedroom for decades that is affecting my pleasure of sex, the pleasure I can get from it. There's something about all the religions in the world that I see online that's in my head when I'm trying to just put my legs in there and have a great sexy time. There's something about the toxic masculinity I was raised with that makes me feel weird about putting my legs in the air and being – Inverted commas, the girl in bed. That's a feminine role I was taught, and it's. I it, it needed some help to dis to disinhibit me from that. You know, just throw my legs in the air and get fucked and, and love it without thinking about masculine roles. I don't want to feel like I have to be the man in this situation. And who put those things in my head anyway? I needed. I know that chemsex support needs cultural expertise around these subjects. They, the the chemsex support workers need. To be competent to have those conversations, understand the culture. They need to know what it's like to go to a sauna and get really high on G, and you roll your eyes a little bit and realize suddenly that there's three other guys in the room, sort of having sex with you too, and you can't remember if you invited them in because you're just missing a backup time. Is this rape, or is, or did I create this happen? What do you do in that situation? Because that's a very normal thing that happens too in chemsex environments. You know, the, the G high is very overwhelming. You find me a, a heroin worker in a typical heroin drug service that can have that conversation competently, uh, and there are some, but it needs to be culturally, you know, across the board. We, gay, bi, and queer men who are engaging in party and play and chem sex, we need that kind of support, it, or the support won't work. It just won't work. I need to – you can go to a straight rehab for three months and have an amazing educational psychological experience, but then it's, you're released – and on Saturday night, you're lonely, you're horny, you've got an app on your phone, and there's loads and loads of drugs available on the app. And nothing about that rehab experience could really skill you up for that, how to manage that moment. And this is what chemsex support services need to do. And so, yes, I became very angry and um, very determined, very activist about creating those chemsex support services. And it was easy for so under- me.
4: Those, building those um, for other people, how has that informed the way that you... S- sort of build those relationships for yourself when i've seen you talk before you always start with a very personal story and i think that's what makes you you know compelling and as a, as a speaker um i just wondered you know how you how you've I'm, I'm presuming you didn't sort it all out and then start to try and sort everyone else out it doesn't really work like that
0: uh no so there was uh, do you mean so ending my drug career, and and then moving on, do you mean? Or? Yeah. So there was, I was, like many, like my community, I, when I came out at 18, ecstasy and partying was normal, and it was a celebration, and in the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s, the most commonly used drugs were ecstasy and cocaine and MDMA, and I have to say, statistically, gay men have loved those drugs historically. We don't do a lot of heroin. We don't do a lot of crack cocaine, not in large numbers statistically, but we do do a lot of ecstasy. So in the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s, there were a lot of gay men using ecstasy, cocaine, and MDMA in very large numbers and in sexual contexts too. But what we didn't have was a lot of gay men rushing to accident emergency departments with uh, acting violently because of the way the ecstasy made them feel. That's not what ecstasy does. And we didn't have lots of gay men rushing to A&E departments with overdoses from their MDMA or their cocaine. And we didn't have gay men rushing to um, drug services saying, help me, I've got a problem with my ecstasy. And we didn't even see quite a lot of SCIs, in fact, really, and we, um, particularly in a problematic way related to those drugs. So I grew up in a normalized drug culture, which was fine. It wasn't a public health urgency. It was fine. It was socially acceptable. The health authorities didn't care. My community uh, supported it, and it wasn't a problem. So when crystal meth, methadone, and G kind of landed bang in the lap of this population of people that had normalized drug culture and saw drugs not as something that can be that can get out of hand quite easily, they saw drugs as mostly fun and low harm. And it was that population that uh, that suddenly had these new drugs delivered to them on mass technologically on apps, almost like in a very targeted way, it wasn't, but you know, the, the apps that we play on and that target gay men in particular, boom, they were the markets for these drugs. It, it wasn't like suddenly crystal meth and methadone were available with the street dealers that had used to be selling heroin and stuff like that. It wasn't like that. It was available online in that way. And so at the same time that the new apps were coming around at the same time that the other drugs were dying away, these new drugs were coming around. So. To get back to your question, I evolved quickly. I suffered badly for that. I had used a lot of drugs in a low-harm way because the drugs weren't harmful. I suddenly developed, found these drugs. I found them. It got out of hand a little bit. I got arrested because I got involved in drug dealing as well, which happens to a lot of people that get very complex uh, addiction. And when I was – so I was found guilty, but I was very lucky. I got a a sentence which meant that I didn't have to serve any time or do anything, anything in fact. But the judge was really cool, and he just said – David, you know, I don't really care. You know, I'm going to get back to my job after today. I, want to, I, I might never see you again. It's up to you whether I see you again. And what did oh, you say? I was dumbstruck, really, because my friends were all up in the balconies sort of clapping and cheering because I got away with it. Mm. And I, it didn't feel that way to me. Uh, a few years earlier, I it's was quite dying. quite a fan thing to say.
4: Mm.
0: Which I, <laughs> yeah, well, it is. And he was brilliant. I, I do remember that. I remember the whole experience. I remember... The, the friends saying, this is amazing. I remember my lawyer, my barrister saying, you don't seem very happy. This is good news. And all I remember was I've been a drug dealer for as long as I can remember. Before that, I was dying of AIDS. And then I didn't die because the medicines were invented and I had to get a life now. You know, I remember that experience as, you know, I was dying of AIDS for about four years and waiting to die and ready for it, prepared for it. And then suddenly these medicines came around, and I had to live. And my, again, people were saying this is great, but I was thinking, oh shit, I've got to like get a job and uh, get a life. And uh, okay, and what the life I did get was sort of I found drugs very quickly. And here I was again in the courtroom, with realizing I've gotten away with this, but all the friends I had were associated with buying drugs from me. I'd been a drug dealer for a decade or something, and all the and a lot of drug-related chemsex shag communities. So suddenly I had – they all abandoned me because I had no drugs anymore and I was kind of toxic because I'd been arrested and I couldn't do that job anymore, even though the only time my phone rang was people wanting to buy drugs and the only time that people knocked on my door were people wanting to party and do drugs and I had to get a life and it was really – it was kind of There's hard Something actually. About your but I sto- did-
4: There's something about your story – I think this is a totally weird thing to say probably. But it just reminds me of like a Grimm's fairy story. Like <laughs> like
3: such sort of like It's almost like the hero's journey, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's because like, it's like you lo- you lost everything to gain everything. I wouldn't afterwards. have gained everything yeah, I know what you mean. But you I, know what I mean? You've it's like the Phoenix uh, from the flames and
0: Yeah. I yeah, I guess so. I'm um, still very traumatized by the whole experience um, of, of course
3: a- yeah, and'm that's probably not mentioned in fairy tales either. <laughs> 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 How the hero is traumatized by what he's just gone through <laughs>
4: There's something about this zoom calling as well it's like your your internet is slightly patchy, and so there is a your your voice is slightly breaking up, but it just adds to the
3: emotion. I'm just going to say that.
0: I'm sorry, and thank you. Do you want me to switch? Um, no, 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 no. no, no, no.
3: It will be fine. I can edit out the pauses in post-production. We're not live, so it's fine. <laughs> well,
4: yeah, well, don't even edit um because it just makes it
3: emotional. Yeah. Mm. Um, uh, David, uh, we could talk to you all night about this stuff, but we're going to do some Queens of Agony which I think Mm -hmm. you will have some very good insights into some of the questions that our listeners send in.
4: I think David is the best person to be answering some of these questions. Yeah,
3: you're going to run rings around us. Mm -hmm. Um, But where uh, can people um, find out about you and what you do?
0: Me, I'm all over social media. If you Google David Stewart Chemsex, you'll find me. Um, But most on my website davidstuart.org is where there's a whole lot of resources, tools to help make changes yourself, tools to help you reflect on the role sex and drugs is playing in your life. Um, and yeah, stuff like that.
4: On your website, you have a kind of CV, but it's not a conventional CV. It just feels like you're talking to me.
0: Well, I'm not selling anything, so I don't need, to, I could have fun writing it. It was uh, purely, I don't know, I sometimes feel like I need to, yeah, well, uh, to be honest, My activism is about awareness and I really want people to, sometimes I'm having to teach people who don't understand why do people use drugs? Why do people, why do people just wear condoms? Why don't people stop using drugs? Why don't people behave all the time? You know, I work with a lot of health professionals that have to get their head around this. I work with a lot of people whose boyfriends are using and they say, why doesn't he just stop? I don't get it. I've lost patience with me. Keep stealing from me. And how do you have patience with him, David? And so I, the, the humanity of my work and helping people to identify with complex human experiences, I my, it's part of my story. Am my, I my, the way I tell it has to be a part of my activism because it, I, people need to be emotional before they care, and they need to care before they take action. Uh, so, thank you. I think you were saying nice things about my really long wordy website.
3: <laughs> it's great, though. I spent the whole afternoon reading it. Um, so, DaveStewart.org. I'm going to put the link in uh, the description of the podcast below and on our website. Um, But we're going to do some Queens of Agony now, if you're up for that, David.
0: Totally, totally.
3: Okay, great. So I'm going to do a big gong.
4: Right. I'm hearing all the sound
3: effects that I'd never heard before. I know. <laughs> so you're hearing all the music, all the sound effects, and pretty much everything. Um, so, and your own voice, which seems to be freaking you out a little bit. A little bit. I didn't know I was this Bristolian. <laughs> you, you don't sound Bristolian to me. Well, not to me anyway. Do either of us sound Bristolian to you, David?
0: No, no, neither of you do, but I don't know I'd recognise Bristolian anyway.
3: Okay, fair enough. Okay, so... Um, As you've told us your age, David, I'm gonna, uh, you're in the pantheon of old queens here. So, dear old queens, how are you guys dating in quarantine? Uh, I want to do the responsible thing and distance after all. If everyone flaunts the rules, they will be here forever. But obviously, any kind of treatment or vaccine could be months or years away. I don't want to just wait until it's over, but I also honestly don't know where to start. Can someone tell me what dating looks like these days? How, where are we finding people? What does a date look like now? I'm not necessarily talking specifically about meeting physically, for example. Just an e-date or a thing now, just to know what it looks like or how to get started. Now you've got a whole section about hooking up during COVID on your website, haven't you, David?
0: Yeah, I wrote it at the beginning when it was um, the urgency about public health seemed really urgent, and I wrote it because where we gay men don't really like being told how to have sex, we don't like being told not to. Um, historically, we, and with great justification, so I, I just knew that this was gonna these new rules that our government was giving us were. going to upset us and, you know, trigger old things. But at the same time, you have to be mindful of um, the consequences of our actions and how urgent this pandemic is and how actions do relate to people dying. So we're trying to find a happy medium and how we can do that. Yeah. Didn't you tweet
3: this week? Because there was a big thing about Matt Hancock saying actually hooking up is illegal did you say that? Yeah, it's, it's illegal at the moment um, during um, lockdown or COVID times. And um, I really loved your tweet about this because it was really non-judgmental. It's just like, yes, people are going to hook up and we need to think about safe ways of doing that.
0: Drugs are illegal too. But yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even if a person who's breaking the law and doing drugs goes to, say, the NHS to get help, the NHS doesn't call the police on them. So, I mean, it's not like you're going to get arrested for dating. No. Um, I hope not. Anyway, I do worry about this uh, new government a little bit, uh, the way things are turning. I mean, How would you answer the question?
4: Well, I would say um, I, I, I'm... Well, I would say, actually, I'm not best place to answer this question, because I haven't been on a date for many years. Um, but uh, I would say if they want to go on a date, um, actually I did go on a date. I, I'm completely lying. I went on a beautiful date at the beginning of lockdown on Zoom. It was someone that I'd met on Tinder and um, we organised um, to share a meal together. We, we decided to cook the same meal and we ate it and we had a really nice time. Unfortunately, that person was very involved in you know the COVID crisis and... I think they just got caught up in all the work that they needed to do. So we didn't really have... We had a couple more dates after that on Zoom, but that was that was the way it
3: ended, really. But it was a nice... But that's a nice, safe date. Yeah, it was pretty safe. Yeah. <laughs> um, what do you suggest, David?
0: Well, I'm really scared that I'm going to sound like one of those um, guest pseudo-doctors on BBC Breakfast. But um, I...
4: I wish you were on BBC Breakfast.
0: I, am, I, I the, Firstly, I do want to say that um, the, the coronavirus is spread mostly by household to household spread. So, I mean, if you can do the dating experience, and I, I wonder if he means dating or if he means hooking up, and I, that's I'd, that's a question I'd probably ask, but if you can avoid going to each up people's houses at the moment because uh, there is a reality that um, we're trying to contain a virus that does, in fact by six degrees of separation, kill people ultimately. So, I mean, if you can't avoid that, I like to. But again, I'm, I'm just going to say be inventive about dating. Do it If you want to date, don't be lonely in a COVID epidemic when there is so much technology to help us to date. And there's big inventive. Do whoever you want if you want to have long Zoom chats. I really do believe I'm kind of old-fashioned that way. I, I, like, I have better sex when I feel intimate and connected with somebody. I like the dating experience because I like getting to know somebody and I don't like, I insist that dating is not about talking about the great clubs I've been to or the fun I've had. I really like them to get real. I think we're gay men and we're living in complicated times so I like to talk about our vulnerabilities and make be really proud and make that a sexy thing um, and go with the flow. I don't want to dictate in this directly to this one particular person how he should go about doing this. Have fun and be inventive, um, look up the rules about what's right and wrong and sort of make sure you're not going to be a danger to anyone else as you go forward with it. But get to know somebody, get to know somebody. Whether there's, we are allowed to do that over coffee, you're allowed to do that over Zoom.
3: Yeah, and I, you've got a whole section on your website about uh, hooking up um, during COVID. And, and I think that's really interesting. It's something that all of us have to have in mind at this time is how, how safe are we... Who do we live with if we live alone? What is our bubble and who we're bubbling with? Um, I think the the whole conversation on the television was, what is the definition of an existing relationship? Right. Uh, so that's just not- <laughs> I was going to put on Facebook, one of you guys are going to have to take one for the team because you're my only existing relationships right now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, that, I mean, that, that is ridiculous. The, the New York government put some brilliant stuff on their website about hooking up, about casual sex, about everything. It was really sex positive and cool. And when I saw the uh, uh, British government talking about just the only, the only way they would talk about sex would be in a relationship as if, and and watching Matt Hancock giggle his way through that answer, like a teenage schoolboy who was too embarrassed for being caught with his pants down was just hysterical. Our government, or the British. (laughs) No. (laughs) Anyway,
3: shall we, shall we do another question? Yes. Okay. Dear old queens, how do you signal that you're gay in everyday life? How do you go about saying I like men without saying I like men? I want to know how you guys make someone's gaydar go off. I know you can just wear a pride flag, and that's obvious. For example, I dress nice all the time, hold eye contact, smile, and check men out it's not much but is it enough to make someone think is he gay i want to expand my knowledge and usage of signals again i know actual flags are easy but that's not my style so what do you guys do or look for well i was just
4: going to say when you were reading that bernie Mm. david was applying a lovely sheen of lip balm on his lips <laughs> just to make him more. the way that uh, signaled my gayness? Yeah, dewy and more fresh
0: than I've <laughs> ever seen you before. Um, so, that's the way to answer the question. Walk down the street putting your lip balm on in a very productive way that lets people know that you're gay.
3: It was very seductive. <laughs> you're being very seductive for two lockdown queens here. <laughs>
0: and <laughs> I'm not I'm down help send help <laughs>
3: I don't know what what would you do to express
0: your gaydom I, I I it's hard for me to answer that one I I can't advise it sounds like it's coming out of the 80s or earlier um in one yeah. way but that's for me a big city boy who's been very lucky to be surrounded by hasn't experienced any violence for my gayness or anything. So I don't know the experience of the person who's asking the question. Um, I know that I, if I want people to know I'm gay, then there's a million ways I can do it. If I, if he's talking about liking someone in the street or letting someone know you're gay because you fancy them, then just smile at them, just smile at them and see where that goes. If, um, I just I'm really struggling here, actually, guys. Help me out. I don't know this experience.
4: Well, I think that's a beautiful answer, you know. I don't think that there I, I think that I think that we need the longer letter to know like what what this person is coming from because yeah, so- we, we also we live in Bristol, and i I think that we have a similar experience to you in the sense that we can be i mean I walk down the street completely femme. And I think that's, that's a slightly more of a nuanced...
0: Yeah, I'd like to know, is, is, is he trying to hide the fact that he's gay but only let other gays know? Because that's, yeah. uh, that's a lot of... isn't it?
3: I think it sounds like that, doesn't it? It sounds like he's a little bit closeted in a way. I guess in, in kind of everyday situations, if I think someone doesn't know that I'm gay, I kind of slip it into the conversation somehow. Because I want them to know that I'm gay. Not, not be necessarily because I fancy them, but also I don't want them to say the wrong thing to me and get embarrassed about it when they find out later that I'm gay.
0: I, I literally just assume everyone knows that I am. I, I have no self-awareness. I don't know if I look camp or not. I, I've learned today that I apply lip balm in a, in a very seductive way. But I don't. <laughs> I just assume everyone thinks I'm gay. And if someone assumes I'm straight, that's kind of a surprise to me. Um, Yeah, if somebody's living in an area where you can get beaten up if they know you're gay, then that's a very valid question. I
4: I think the answer is you need to ask someone else, not us. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Yeah. I like the smile. I think the smile is perfect. (laughs) Anyway, should we move on? Right. Dear old queens, what's the dumbest excuse you've heard of ending a relationship? One of my best friends, let's call him John, could be a Seinfeld character when it comes to the duration of his relationships. John is very intelligent, top of his career field, and very handsome. He meets some incredible guys that would be a great match for him, but breaks up with them because of their height, because the guy drinks tea instead of coffee, or he just gets bored. To his credit, John doesn't cry about the lack of quality guys after he rejects them, and those of us in our friendship circle have learned not to get attached to his latest boyfriends due to his serial dating. I've actually gained a few friends in keeping in touch with his ex-boyfriends because he dates generally decent guys. The tea instead of coffee drinker still makes me laugh. A, is my friend too fussy? And B, what are the stupidest breakup reasons you've heard of? I, uh... I've been
0: for eight years, so i leave this to you guys. What did you say? I've been celibate for eight years. I leave this one to you. Uh, oh, wow.
4: Uh, well, I, um, I was just thinking of, a, of an ex that, that broke up with me for, for many reasons. I mean, we kind of both broke up with each other, but one of the reasons why he felt like it wasn't working anymore was because I was too tall. <laughs> okay. But I had been too tall for five years, it seemed, and that hadn't been a problem <laughs> at the beginning.
3: <laughs> is it? Yeah. Are these just kind of weird excuses because they're not? Is this is this guy just unable to communicate the fact that he's not getting what he wants from the relationship? So therefore, he invents a really kind of superficial reason to split up with them.
4: I mean, it's something about. I think you can just say I'm bored,
0: <laughs> or it's just, <laughs> just not working. Yeah. <laughs> We were talking earlier about um, how we don't have the communication skills as gay men to manage life. I mean, uh, rejecting somebody is um, easy when you've got a block button on your Grinder app. Yeah. Um, and if you've used that a lot for three years and you're out of experience of how to reject someone kindly but firmly, you're not responsible for how badly they take it because, you know, you, it does hurt when you reject somebody. It hurts. Nobody's. There's no way to do it in a way that they're going to not want to be rejected. So, I mean – there's no win-win here. All you can do is be kind and be honest. And if you're not feeling it, you're not feeling it. And it's okay to sell, say that to someone and be kind. But I just don't think we have the communication skills. We don't know how to reject people. We don't know how to approach people. We don't know how to flirt with people. We don't know how to – we're losing these skills because of technology a little bit.
3: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I still maintain that the apps are kind of dehumanise us in a way because it's it's really easy – not to see that little gif as a person and and just be really blunt about everything and 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 actually sometimes be offensive but yeah really easy to just block rather than actually communicate to
0: that person that maybe you just don't fancy them yeah technology is doing that usually when we're typing where you can the, the normal instincts we have to be empathic and to recognize facial expressions and when someone's paying attention or not when you've heard the feelings with a, a intonation of your voice when all that's not there you just have your inner predator to just shout really and that's how we're dating these days yeah I've been rejected because i um, because I don't do drugs anymore so I've been rejected for this right mm, Wow.
3: Okay, yeah. So I think, yeah, this person needs to communicate and kind of, uh, yeah, maybe kind of get in touch with his own feelings rather than it being because someone drinks coffee instead of tea. (laughs) (laughs) I think... The answer
0: is in Seinfeld, I know it. The answer is in the episode of Seinfeld.
3: (laughs) Yeah, maybe I need to watch that back catalogue. Okay, final Queens of Agony question. It's quite a short one. Dear old Queens... What kink or fetish is a deal-breaker for you? Meaning, <laughs> what would you end a relationship over? It's all about ending relationships, this episode, isn't it? Right, so what, what kink is a deal-breaker for you? What, what kink don't you like? P- a poo. <laughs> Scat. Yeah. <laughs> profilia, mm. as we know, the technical word for this. Yeah, David? before you were celibate
0: there's loads i'm don't like. i not going to choose one but there's loads i don't like but i wouldn't break up with over with, with someone there's always a way to negotiate and find a way to continue a relationship and to negotiate role playing instead of actually doing the fetish or all sorts of ways so i would i would reg- disregard that and carry on with and make the relationship work somehow
3: yeah and the, the i mean the a lot of these questions are dealing with traditional types of relationships, very heteronormative relationships. I have found that. I,
0: I, I was expecting questions about, David, I'm struggling with crystal meth. How do I make changes? Or my boyfriend <laughs> won't talk to me these are way uh, breakfast television stuff. I'm having a ball. <laughs> <laughs> well,
4: well I, I always stop uh, everything for loose women. <laughs> uh, at lunchtime, and and then I tell Bernie this, and then Bernie says, "Well,
0: that's a bit like what we are, blue swimming." Now that well, I know about this segment, I'm going <laughs> to send some questions in that are going to shake up okay rock, please. Rock, yeah, yeah because we do
4: yeah we're desperate for
3: more
4: questions <laughs> more uh, problems
3: <laughs> please do um but yeah i think there's there's lots of different types of relationships and if if you, one of you is into some kind of kink that the other one isn't then you know you can still have a relationship with that person but you could also find somebody else who's actually into that kink
4: I I I totally get what you're saying, but with the thing with the poo thing, is like I wouldn't want to. I I just can't think of a pl- of a place where I can even mind doing
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> Could in you the do the it through
3: interpretive though. dance?
0: <laughs> the relationship can be saved without you engaging in sketch, though. I'm yeah. sure. And there are, there are uh, relationship therapists and sexual therapists all over the world that can help people save relationships even when they have different contrasting desires and attitudes about fetishes. I want your, your questioner to mm. know that. You know, the questioner, you know, I don't know what it's called, but there was that sitcom that I didn't like very much with Ian McKellen and somebody mm. two old in the house. Do you yeah. I never yeah. saw it. I, all of our questions of today are like written by those two characters. <laughs> <laughs> well,
3: uh, the name of the podcast is What That Old Queen? So, you know, <laughs> this, this, this is the calibre of our audience. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what about vomit? Oh, um, same answer for me. <laughs> I don't like it at all, but I wouldn't end a relationship because nobody likes it. Um, insane, I'm not sure anyone
3: likes it. I think that's more of an accident than a fetish, isn't it? No, I think people like vomit. Yeah,
0: There's no. some great porn
3: films where that happens.
4: Yeah, so I've seen
0: well, some great German porn films.
4: It? Annie Sprinkle does some st- vomit things. I don't know. Yeah. I was, like gag- was going to say vomit is more appealing and- than poo, but I can't really say that either. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Take that gag thing that people like when they're uh, um, receiving a blowjob and take that to a sort of extreme max. As people watch more and more extreme porn um, day by day, and as we push our experiences greater and greater, we and our our human brethren are going to be pushing the boundaries of fetishes and fantasies much, much further in in coming years. Well, that's the
4: interesting thing about age for me, really, is that you just become more and more liberated in the way that you think of, you know, know, different kinks, just feel the, the, the things that I thought were repulsive... When I was seventeen, I would jump blink out. At. yeah, jump yeah. Out. <laughs> this
0: is true, <laughs> yeah i think
4: I think
3: you get more open minded as you get older and and maybe a little bit more empathic <laughs> to people's whims mm. and fancies, yeah so I'll
4: see you in ten years' time uh-huh. in a barrel of shit and vomit. <laughs>
0: I should be so
3: lucky. this <laughs> And on that note, I feel we've come to the end of our podcast. Uh, David, thank you so much. You've been a fabulous guest for us. We're going to put a link to your um, website in the description of the podcast. But thank you so much for being a guest on our birthday episode, as it were, for one year. And um, say goodbye to our lovely audience.
0: Thank you. You're both gorgeous old queens, and I've really had a lovely, lovely time. And you're both very kind. And if I had a message to the audience, it's uh, be kind to each other online, be kind to each other in bed, and be kind to each other more. And we'll get through all these weird times.
3: I think that's a great note to leave on. Tommy, say goodbye to our lovely audience. Goodbye, lovely audience. <laughs> be kind to each other out there. Thank you so much, David. We will be here next time on What That old queen you have been listening to what that old queen written and presented by tom marshman and bernie hodges the show was produced by bernie hodges for hodge podcasting in the year 2020 If you have a Queens of Agony question, or you'd like to be a guest, or if you'd like to sponsor one of our shows, you can email hello at thatoldqueen.com or find us on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter.